Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Dr. Simon talking to you from, again, sunny Florida. We've had pouring rains here today. And for this is the uh, uh, wet season, and it's been the driest season in all the years I've been here in Florida. So I was relieved to see some water coming from the sky. Not as much relief as I think they would feel in Oregon, Washington, and California to see some water falling out of the sky. Um, But it's sunny again, and my show is called The Stories We Live By. And today I have the absolute pleasure of uh, joining in conversation with a colleague and a friend. Uh, when did we first meet? This is Dr. Al Galves who's going to come on. He's a psychologist and psychotherapist who lives in Las Cruces, New Mexico. When did we first meet? It was 2003, Yeah, You know, when we first met, and i tell you the story. I knew about Peter Bregan, uh, Larry. And I knew, and I knew I wanted to fight biopsychiatry. I knew that this is bad stuff, and I got to fight this. And I knew about Peter Bregan, so I called the number that I had, and Ginger answered. And I talked to Ginger. I said, "Ginger, how can I get involved in this?" She said, "Al, there's going to be a conference over in New Jersey uh, in October. Here's what you do: call Larry Simon or Dominic Riccio. You call them up right. and, and find out how you can get over there and get what to the year conference." What was that? 2003 or 2004. It was three. Yeah. yeah. I did the conference for 2003 and 2004. Yeah. Okay. So I called you, and uh, that's what happened. <laughs> I called you and said, well, here's what you do. And, and so I went to the conference, and that's how, that, that's how we met, yeah. 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 And uh, what I'm impressed about in your work is not merely that you're a psychotherapist, and I know you have to be a very good one, because you believe in democracy and being kind and being uh, attentive and not putting people down. And you know that uh, the idea of mental illness is bullshit. But you've done a lot of work with the what's called the survivors, psychiatric survivors. Uh, that is not people who have survived mental illness, but have survived psychiatry. Give us a little mm-hmm. rundown on that. Yeah, uh, well, for many years, uh, since 2004, I've been on the board of directors of Mind Freedom International. And Mind Freedom International was started by David Oakes and Janet Foner. Both David and Janet had been hospitalized and forcibly treated. They'd had the symptoms of so-called schizophrenia or psychosis, so-called, and, and they had been hospitalized and and, uh, and forcibly drugged. And, and David... When he was in the hospital, they gave him Haldol. They shot him with Haldol, and it had such a bad reaction to him. He said, no more. Don't give me that stuff anymore. And so they put him in seclusion. And so he decided then, I'm going to spend my life fighting this bullshit. And so uh, that organization, Larry, basically fights forced treatment, 
all kinds of force treatment. And they do it by they have a, a Mind Freedom Shield, which is a solidarity network of people who are at risk of being hospitalized against their will. And the deal is they notify everybody, and everybody then calls the governor, the hospital administrator, the psychiatrist, and just, just raise hell about it. Uh, they have demonstrations at the American Psychiatric Association, uh, you know, opposing biopsychiatry. And they also promote alternatives, you know, like Soteria House and open dialogue and, um, and uh, intentional peer support and uh, crisis respite centers and uh, all those kinds of alternatives. So they, they answer the question, look, if you don't like drugs, you don't like forced treatment, what do you like? So that's mind freedom. And then I've also gotten involved Hold with the Hearing Voices now, Network. People, yeah. who, people who hear this are going to want to know – and people, by the way, I don't have a lot of people who, who hear these shows. But what happens over time, a lot of people download this stuff. And it goes out all over the world. I have people who follow this show on every continent. Although lately, right. nobody in South America. Um, if they wanted to get involved or they wanted to call and make contact with Mind Freedom, Mindfreedom.org or mindfreedom.com? How would they it's do mindfreedom. that? It's mindfreedom.org. It's www.mindfreedom.org. Okay. Very good. And the number, I'll give you the phone number. Uh, well, for the, you know what? Go ahead. Email me the phone number, and I'll, I'll mention I'll do a show and put it out in print. Okay. Because okay, that that anybody who hears this doesn't have a pencil, it's done. I mean, I, I, I know that. So yeah. you'll email well, me, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll put it out. Okay, uh, so that's um, a great uh, organization, mindfreedom.org. And, now, you mentioned uh, voice hearers. I hadn't heard of that until recently, but I got very excited yeah. by the idea that p- apparently people will hear voices, and some of them like it, and some of them don't like it, and some of them can control it, and some of them can't. And a lot of them seem to have now organized into groups, Oh, yeah. There's a, something called the Hearing Voices Network. There's Hearing Voices USA. Let me tell you, I'll tell you a little bit about the history. Please. The this history is great is stuff. That, uh, it's interesting history. It started in the Netherlands, a psychiatrist named Marius Rome, right? And he's got a patient. He's working with a patient who's been diagnosed with schizophrenia. And the patient says to him one day, she says, you know, I don't get it. You people go to church and you pray to a God you don't see, you've never seen. You pray to this God and, and to spirits that you've never seen, and that's fine. And I uh, listen to voices that I haven't seen, and you think I'm sick. I don't get it. And uh, this guy listened, and he said, you know, you got a point there. And so he started talking to people, and he started um, meeting with people who were hearing voices and trying to understand what, they were about what was going on with people. So uh, for somehow or other, it went over to the United Kingdom, and the United Kingdom went big time with hearing voices uh, groups. So if you go, if you go uh, onto the Internet and go to Hearing Voices Network, United Kingdom, you'll see uh, what's going on in the United Kingdom. It's going on for a long time. Yeah, uh, but you hearing... know, I just put voice hearers into uh, Google. I Googled it. Okay, and, and apparently there are now organizations all over. Yeah, well, like, for instance, I, ru- I run a hearing voices group here in Las Cruces, and it's actually on Zoom, so we have people from Colorado and, 
and from Houston in the group. And we meet once a week. And here's what the here's here's the deal. Here's what the Hearing Voices group is. It's a group where people who hear voices or have visions or uh, unusual thoughts, unusual beliefs, where they can meet and they just share their experience and they learn from each other. And it's totally not pathologized. It's This is not an illness. This is just something that's going on in your life. And let's see if we can help you understand Al, what these not voices an are there for. It's a right? psychological phenomenon. That's exactly. all it is. Yeah, and it's about their lives. And, and so what people learn how to do, they learn how to engage with the voices and manage the voices and uh, learn what they're, what they're about. What are you doing here? What can I do to help you? you know? Uh, and so that's the whole idea of it is to see these voices, hearing voices as just something that's going on for some reason or other, probably has some meaning in the person's life, some reason for it, and, and, and learn from it. And you see, for me, the, the interesting thing is um, I've never – well, I can't say I never heard of – once in a while I have to be have something to drink. I might hear the, my name being Larry. Mm-hmm. It's not. And I know it's not, you know, and it only happens right. under certain circumstances. And it never alarmed me. But I never understood that. I can't make a voice – happen now when i listen when i people would tell me when i was working uh uh, in the clinic for 25 years uh my clinic became the outpatient refuge uh for people from creedmoor mental hospital this was during the deinstitutionalization during the 70s Mm -hmm. and i fell Mm -hmm, in love with most of the people that i work with and I remember once saying to a woman I worked with for 10 years early on, there are no voices. She, I said, the voices aren't real. And she said, the voices just said, you are not real. <laughs> I, I yeah. thought that was so fabulous. But yeah, I don't understand yeah. <laughs> it as a phenomenon. And I've been as putting out questions on the Internet. When a person hears a voice, do they hear it as if it's actually a voice in the room with them? Or do they yeah. know there's a difference between the sound of that? Right? Now, this particular person, when I would go on vacation, I would come back and she's in the hospital because what we had worked out is that the voices sounded vaguely like a radio. So mm-hmm. we talked about it and I suggested, can you find the knob and turn the volume down? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when the voices were telling her she was an immortal poetess, she turned the volume up. When the voices told her she was the worst person on earth, she turned the volume down. When I went away on vacation, she turned it way up and ended up in the hospital because she would panic herself. So I came back from vacation. But to me, what a phenomenally interesting capacity. Right. But I don't understand... Now, from your experience, when a person says they hear voices, do they treat it the same way as your voice when you're talking directly to them? Uh, They experience it as a voice that isn't them, and it's real. It's real. And one of the principles of the Hearing Voices Network, they have a charter, you know, with the principles, is that the voices are real. And... um, 
uh, yeah. That, that, so they experience it as a as a real voice, and and it's not. No, they them. hear it. It's a voice. No, they he actually they hear, it. hear it. But they do they hear, hear, it. They hear it, it the same as if you were talking to them, and there was a voice at the same time? Yes, that's how they hear. They it. do, at least from what okay. they say. Yeah, they hear it now. Um, you know, people have different experiences in, in, in learning about what they are. For instance, I've heard people. Okay, I, I, I've listened to a person named Ron Coleman, who you can look this guy up. He's heard voices since he was like 15 years old. And uh, uh, one of the voices he's heard was somebody was, was sort of a voice that was telling him, you're guilty, you're a guilty person, you, 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 you caused your own problems. And he finally came to realize that it was the voice of a priest who had abused him sexually when he was an altar boy. Ah, right. Yes. See, and then, and what, and one of the things that happens is once they realize, once once they understand the meaning of the voice, and what it is, and what it's there for, a lot of times the voice goes away. Right. And and they right. can also. And, well, that's the central issue. Can, it's a meaningful experience. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and in America, ninety-seven percent of people want to hear the voice of God, and if they hear the voice of God, they're schizophrenic. <laughs> right. 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 Well, you know, how did Joseph Smith, you know, the prophet, the Mormon prophet, how did he stay out of the hospital? He come. He tells, I just talked to the the, the Archangel Michael. Archangel, I just talked to Jesus. You know, well, because he was a high status guy, he had a lot of people right. who loved him. Right. So, but uh, so. So yes, the whole idea is is, and one of the big problems that these poor people have, if they go to a psychiatrist, and they tell the psychiatrist they're hearing voices, the psychiatrist isn't inter- isn't interested in the voices. The no. psychiatrist doesn't ask him, oh really, what what is no. the voice saying? Or it's who is simply the voice? a symptom of an illness. Exactly, and, and into the hospital and popped on That's drugs right. or That's ECT. It. They just start writing the they just start writing the prescription. Yes. They aren't interested in the voices, what the voices yes. are saying. Well, let me ask you this. How many of our colleagues, because there was a time early in my career, if somebody had said they hear voices, I would have immediately gone to a supervisor or to the, st- the staff psychiatrist and reported it there. It was only after right. I started working with individuals that I realized how absolutely important and meaningful the experience was and it was an externalization somehow of a conversation that they were having. Mm-hmm. And right. all of our consciousness experiences are conversations. But we know we're having the conversation internally. What happens with this now somehow, it gets turned on and it becomes an actual auditory or visual experience. Right. But it doesn't change right. the meaning of it in terms of its content, in terms of the function it has um, yeah, this is all exactly. great. I want to. You wanted to talk about some other stuff, though, and I'd like to get to that. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, so w- let's go. What do we go? Where, okay. do we, where where are we now, Al? Okay, here's here's what I want. Here's my, my main the main message I had, the main concern. Uh, one of the big problems uh, in in this country is that people don't understand what quote unquote mental illness is, or, or you know the way I put it. People don't understand the nature of the states of being and the behaviors that people experience that lead them to be diagnosed. Right. They don't understand what they are. Uh, so here's 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 a, I'll give you a couple of examples of how I know this. 
uh, about 15 years ago, I read an article. It was about college students. And the article said that college students, uh, when they're feeling agitated or down or, um, uh, you know, debilitated, uh, angry, uh, panicky, uh, manic, uh, very upset, they don't know if if they're just reacting to, to their life situation or reacting to their life or if they have a mental illness, right? As right. if those are two different things. As if those those aren't two different things. Those totally are one and the same thing. Right. Right? Yeah, so but but this is what's happened. They've been bombarded with the, with this message from the drug companies and advertising. This is a chemical imbalance or brain disorder, Al, genetic anomaly. Al, and the rest yeah. of us. And the rest Who of us. Who goes exactly. into psychotherapy today and does not get diagnosed if they want health insurance to pay for part of the fee right and the diagnosing is a problem that's a big but the big problem is that these that these college kids and people in that age cohort and most americans they they don't realize that all so-called mental illnesses all of them everything from the mildest depression or anxiety to psychosis they all are reactions they're all how people are reacting to their lives and their life situations and concerns they have about themselves and their lives. That's what yes. they are. But Americans believe there's something more than that. You see, there's something, somehow they're more in a mysterious way. They're more than just how people are reacting to their lives. And that's a big problem. So here's another uh, example of how I know this. So this is about five years ago. I interviewed 10 people. And uh, some of them were my friends. And uh, I had a sign up at a coffee house, uh, interviews on mental health. And I interviewed about 10 people. I asked them all, I say, what do you think causes mental illness? And they all gave me some kind of physiological answer, right? Right. A chemical imbalance, brain disorder, uh, genetic problems. So then I asked them, well, what do you think triggered the change in the brains or the, the chemistry or the genetics? What do you think triggered it? Because the person wasn't mentally ill and then... And then, then they are. What do you think happened? And they all said, oh, something happened to the person. So I said, well, wait a second. Now you're telling me that the cause of this so-called mental illness is something happened to the person. But you just said before that it was a physiological thing. What is, what's going on here? And they all were nonplussed, Larry. They all were surprised. They say, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So then I asked them the final question, right? Okay, so tell me this. Do you think there's a difference between how a person is reacting to his or her life situation and uh, their life and concerns about themselves and their lives? Is there a difference between that and a diagnosable mental illness? And they all said yes. They all said yes. In other words, this is ridiculous. So they're confused. They don't know. (laughs) And this is a big problem because... If you believe, look, if you believe that uh, that so-called mental illnesses, these states of being behaviors, it can be troubling and painful and bizarre and upsetting and all of that. If you believe that they don't have anything to do with your life, you know, that there's something other than your life, then you're likely to go to drugs right, or some kind of electroshock. 
But if you if you believe, oh, this is about my life. This is, uh, you know, what's going on and my uh, difficulty coping, and um, uh, th- then they'll they're more likely to go to psychotherapy. So let me say a, a few more words about it, okay, Larry? Yeah, because then I'm gonna I want to okay I, let finish up uh, uh, because you, see, you just used the word coping, and I want to come back to the word coping when you finish. Go ahead. Yeah, right. Okay. So, so somebody asked Freud apparently. Uh, when he was in his 80s, he said, so, Dr. Freud, uh, what's, the, what's the key to mental health? And he said, the key to mental health is the capacity to love and the capacity to work. Right. Okay? Not to be loved and not to have people work. The capacity to love and the capacity to work. <laughs> now, a guy named Matthew Fox, who's a cleric, he took the word work and he said, I'm going to change work to express oneself. So that it's a broader concept. So he would say that the key to mental health, the key to being happy, if you will, is the, is the capacity to love and the capacity to express oneself. So now you have the positive psychologist that you know about, Martin Seligman and those people. Right. And, and they, they study what are the ingredients of happiness, right? And they come up with this. The ingredients of happiness are using the best part of oneself in the interest of something bigger than oneself, that's number one. The second thing is positive relationships. And the third is achievement, mastery, and competence. Very similar to Freud's answer. So right. here's the deal. For most human beings, what's important to them is being able to be connected with other human beings, to be to able to love human beings in all kinds of ways. You know, romantic love, sexual love, family love, collegial love all kinds of love, and to be able to use their abilities in satisfying ways, express themselves. Well, check it out. If people can't do that, if human beings cannot do that, and if they're afraid they'll never be able to do it and have no hope that they'll ever be able to do it, they get very upset. They get extremely upset. They get depressed and agitated and obsessed and manic and panicked and psychotic. Right. And that's what's happening. But you see, here's where I have to disagree with you. Right. I'm okay. totally with you up until this last section. Right. What is the mental illness? Is the coping itself? Well, yes, uh, yes, because it's, um, yes, so the mental illness. Now the can question be the then has itself. to be asked. Definitely. If yes. they're coping in a way that makes it worse, you see. It's a desperate act that makes things worse, but it's still coping. Exactly. All of these are totally meaningful acts. Absolutely. And then the question is becomes, and I've done too many shows now where I put this out, and I have too much of this in my book. In fact, I'm going to rewrite. I'm, I'm doing a revision of the book. The first book, right. my, this book that I wrote, which I think is the best, I've written four or five of these already, but this is really right. the best one I've written. It sold 40 fucking copies in yeah, a year yeah. and a half. It's right? crazy. Yeah. So I'm going to write it again. Yeah. But it is the coping. And exactly. to me, it get, if, you, if you step outside, what has happened to most of us is that we live in a kind of an authoritarian system that tells us what we've done wrong and how we're wrong, how we're somehow essentially bad or wrong or evil or crazy. 
And when we fight back against the system or become part of the system, mm-hmm. we not only become dehumanized, we dehumanize others. And now we can't do the two things you, you mentioned. Although I have one is not just, we have to be part of a family. We have to have friends. We have to, we can't do it alone. Evolution yeah, well, told that's, us that's, we can't that's, do it. That's, that's the second thing is that's I think connected. we have to create. <coughs> yeah, being best being connected. We have to, to create something. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. That's so, it. When we that's can't it. do so, that, it's because we're in a system that really tells us that's the wrong way to go. And then when we do it the wrong way, we end up being scared and end up in this fucking system that now tells us we really are worse defective than we, we think we are. But there's really nothing yeah. to be done about it because it's not just your essential self that's no good, but your brain is no good. Right, right. And yeah, now you're trapped. Tell me what you mean by the, they own your soul. You, you tell me what you mean by the wrong thing. We're, we're, we're told that we're yeah. doing the wrong, doing the wrong thing. In other words, I want to to um, create something, right? And I don't know what to do. I don't have the skill. So I do something that others judge as harmful or stupid or crazy. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. I end up abusing people. See, in a hierarchical system, we have to aggrandize the people above us and believe them mm-hmm. rather than our own eyes. And then we have to have obedience from the people below us and have them aggrandize us. We're now in a trap. Right. How do you get out of the trap? And when you start doing things desperately, and when you start to believe you are defective, how do you cope with that? What's the right way of doing that? Or I wrote about, I, wrote, I did a lot of work in, the, in that clinic with cops who had killed people and soldiers who came back from Vietnam. Yeah. A soldier tells me, that he killed people, he killed children, that he was a helicopter gunship. Uh, he was on a helicopter gunship, and they would fly over, swoop on a village, and when they fired at the ground, every man, woman, child, and animal became red paste. Mm-hmm. And they, then he got stoned one night, and his buddy went up to take his place, and the buddy was killed. Mm. And he says, who's going to forgive me? And then mm-hmm. what happened in that war, they figured out that the war was a lie. They were losing. Everybody was told that they were winning and they were losing. So he lost the justification. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, there's a horrible moral injury. Moral injury in that war. Moral, like I like the term moral. now, moral injury. Not PTSD. It's a moral yeah, yeah. injury. Exactly. Now, how do you repair a morality that's been destroyed because you really did do those things and now can't justify it. Yeah, How well, do you deal with the of... shame and the guilt? Whatever yeah, you do the... really doesn't work. It yeah. becomes the coping, the drugs, the delusions, the craziness. They're a way of getting out of this intolerable situation, but all they end up is being seen as worse symptoms. Exactly, and drugged. And, 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 yeah, see, there's something valuable about going through it over and over and over and over again because maybe you get to see that you didn't have a chance. There was no, it wasn't your fault. 
You know, you were a tool. You were a victim. Right. Uh, you know, I don't know if you know the work that James Penner, uh, James Pendergast has done. Pennerbacker, James Pennerbacker in, uh, in 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 Texas. He's done this uh, many, many, many times. Um, what he does is he, he he has college students. He gives them a writing assignment, and half of them are assigned to write about the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to you. And they're told to write for 30 minutes, three days in a row. And the other half are assigned to write about something very impersonal, like uh, what I did last summer or where I'm going to graduate school or environmental problems, et cetera, et cetera. So half are writing about the most traumatic thing that ever happened to them, and the other half are writing about very impersonal stuff. So they actually take blood samples for six weeks, and they pay attention to how often they go to the clinic. Every time that's been done, Larry, every time, the ones that we're writing about the, tra- the most traumatic experiences have better immune function and go to the clinic less. They're healthier. Right. Yeah, that that yeah. doesn't surprise me because they're working yeah, something through exactly. in a it's different exactly what's context. And they, they, if right. you read what they write every day, so they look at what they write every day, and, and you can see that they're making sense out of what happened. They're right. integrating it into their lives. Right. They're making right. sense out of it. And uh, so I want to tell you, you know, what you're saying is absolutely right. And I wrote a a bunch of, uh, I wrote a pamphlet. And basically it's called, well, it's called Your Symptoms are the Path to Mental Health. But my first first title was this, All So-Called Symptoms are Meaningful, Somehow Functional, and Potentially Useful. Therefore, therefore... Therefore, we ought to help people learn uh, learn from the symptoms. No, I'm sorry. So Therefore, they're not symptoms. Okay, so they're not symptoms. They're but you see, that's the point, Al. we got to get rid of this notion that they're symptoms. They're not okay, symptoms of anything. I agree. So they let's are say, what they are, and they're not having anything to do with medicine. I agree. I so agree. We're so we're The only reason I'm using <laughs> I agree. So, so you could say it this way. You can say everything that people experience, no matter how me, no matter how, everything people are experiencing, no matter how painful, no matter how troubling, no matter how even dangerous, uh, no matter how bizarre, everything they're experiencing is is meaningful, somehow functional, purposeful, and potentially useful. Yes. Yeah. And everything. Yeah. So you know. So depression is what happens when you've lost something very valuable, and 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 you grieve. Uh, uh, that's what happens. Depression is what happens when you have deep concerns about your life, uh, right? And, and 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 you need to you need to do some work on your life. And the depression is very helpful because it says it, it makes you stop. It says the depression says stop living. You stop doing what you're doing. You dumb fuck. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop focusing yeah, but outside. You see- that becomes and spend some helpful, time with yourself, Al. That becomes helpful when the person can say, "I'm not sick. I need to stop what I'm doing, you dumb fuck." Yeah, exactly. But people exactly. don't say that. What they no, say is no, because they're they're told they're sick. Right. It's a, but it's you a see, horrible it, situation. It, this, right. So it needs a total different story or reinterpretation. Yeah, and the moment exactly. they're so, diagnosed, we put the nail into the coffin. Exactly. So, so I Larry, see my purpose is, now is to convince the public in whatever small way I can 
that if they go to a psychotherapist, they come armed and they say, I want to work out a fee with you, but under no circumstances do I want to be diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And I also want to see everything you write about me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It dawned on me that some many years ago, somebody said, you keep notes on me. Can I see them? And my first response was the typical response. Why do you want to see them? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about this. I go into my doctor's office and the report is waiting. I don't have to ask to see it. He says, here's the the report on you. (laughs) It's mine. Right. 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 So they need to be armed. Yeah, well, and we have what to I stop do. making diagnoses, Al, and we're not going well, to. Well, you know, I, I, I agree. I agree. The diagnosis is And we're going to be eaten alive. To, yeah, it, it, it's, the diagnosis is useless. We don't need it. Now, you know, I diagnose everybody with adjustment disorder, and we don't talk about it. I'm how talking dare about you? their lives. When they no, no, how dare person, you? What's going on? How dare you or I say disorder? I used to use adjustment disorder. Yeah. Yeah, because it's so. Yeah. But it's called a disorder. Who's disordered? Yeah, it's bullshit. What does it mean, Al, to be disordered? Yeah, right. Uh, Larry, why you do see I do where it? We are? I, I, I hope I'm not being. I hope I'm not. You know, to see me as being hostile in any way. No, no, no. I, I, I hear. We it, have to find a way of stopping this. Well, and extricating. Okay. See, I believe psychotherapy. And I've never been able to find a good word for it. All I do is put it in quotes, which is okay if it's written. But when I say psychotherapy, I can't say psychotherapy with therapy in quotes. It's cumbersome and it has no meaning. Um, um, so when, when you, you're involved in this, it needs another piece of language. So we've created, since the Enlightenment, a, a new kind of relationship. It's not parent-child. It's not attorney Client, it's not teacher student, it's not doctor patient. It's not. Right. So we need to define it in a certain way, and people have to be able and educated to not ever allow themselves to get entangled in this horrendous, horrendous system. Yeah. And I don't think it's gonna happen. I don't think well, it's gonna I- happen. Someday it's going to happen, or something better. There's going to be something much better happen, and the reason I say that is because human beings can't be fooled for that long. You know, I, I don't know if you've, uh, you, you know, <laughs> I talk about. Next, let's watch this election, Al. <laughs> okay, but Larry, 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 let me tell you. That I think about. Here's what I think about. I think about women's suffrage. Right? How long does it take human beings to get it? with a no-brainer, with a total no-brainer like women's suffrage. So the first bill calling for women's suffrage was introduced into the United States Congress in 1870, Larry, 1870. And they had been talking about it for 20 years before that. Right. Right. You know, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and all those since 1850. So we're talking about it took 70 years, 70 years for that no-brainer to happen. Why did it happen? Why did it happen? Finally, I think the reason that I don't know, actually, Larry, it's a great question. I think I did it have leaders that have people who came out and spoke the truth. Did they go public years and years? Did they take their lumps? 
Yes. Years so and years when are we going to speak out, and when are we going to take our lumps? And not you, That's me, what you're doing. You. That's what well, you're I doing am, it. because, you see, I have nothing to lose anymore. Yeah, you're doing it. You know, I do it. I am. I'm doing it right now with you. You are. You yeah. are. And I, I, I got to get somebody on every day, every other day, to do this with me again and tell their friends yeah. to listen. All right? Yeah. Because so let me tell you the most unless horrible. Unless there really is a public, a public uh, 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 set of ideas laid out that people can really get their head around, you see, it's not, go- it's not yeah. going to change. No, that's right. And that's the exactly adver- right. I watch the ad- I, you'll have to show you the advertising on television. Billions and billions of dollars. Oh, yeah. It's horrible. It, it, it's, so you know, you, know, you know Mickey Weinberg, right? You know Mickey Weinberg? Yes. You know sure. Mickey Weinberg? You know, Mickey yes. was, a, was on the board of Mind Freedom. And in 2003, they he, did the, the fast. The hunger strike. They did the fast. Yeah, the hunger freedom. strike. Yeah, yeah. Hunger strike. Uh, which, you know, the reason, let me tell you his reason for doing it. This is, this is the reason that Mickey Weinberg did that. He wanted uh, to, um, he wanted to give the general public a message that psychiatry is founded on a, it's founded on a bunch of bullshit. He wanted to give the general public a message. There's no scientific foundation underneath psychiatry. Yes. And, And, and he wanted to create skepticism, and he wanted yes. to put a dent in the armor of the authority of psychiatry. Yes. So he's going to do it again now. But this time they're going to do it with mental health professionals, quote-unquote. Absolutely. That was the problem originally. Yeah, back what in happened 2003, is that there were patients survivors. who were involved. Right. And exactly. the only reason the patients would do this, the public reasoned, and the doctors attacked them, was that because they were mentally ill. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it worked. I mean, it really worked because the, the American Psychiatric Association sent a textbook saying this is proof. And we had a scientific panel with David Cohn and Peter Bregan and, right. and David Healy and, and Joanna Moncrief. And, and they just debunked it, you know, debunked it using the same stuff, other stuff in the same textbook. So he's doing it again, but this time with mental health professionals. So this, all that we're doing is the same thing that the women's suffragettes were doing over those 70 years. Right. We're doing the same thing. We're doing the same thing the Soviet dissidents were doing. From, listen, people knew in 1930 that the Soviet experiment was not going to work. Uh, so you had all the dissidents. You had people talking in their, in their living rooms. This is fucked up. This isn't going to work. You had the gulag. You had the, finally it comes down. It takes 50 years. All of a sudden, it seems like it comes down all of a sudden. Yeah, no, no. That's and now they have Putin. And now they, now they have Putin. <laughs> and we have Trump. And we have Trump. So let yeah. me tell you one thing. One more thing I want to tell you, uh, uh, Larry. Give me the a reason worst, to be optimistic. <laughs> well, no. Well, here's the reason. The reason is we're doing what the suffragettes were doing. We're doing what the dissidents were doing. It takes years and years and years and years and years. Okay. And there's a guy named Morris Berman who wrote a book. It's a great book called The Twilight of American Culture. He says, uh, 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 the American culture is dying. I'll give you four criteria and, uh, for, for a dying culture. Increasing inequalities of wealth and income, first criteria. Second criteria, 
decreasing returns from investment in technology. And you could look at the the fact that we spend $700 billion a year on the on the war machine as exactly that. $700 billion, and what do we get for it? Bullshit, nothing. Uh, then the third thing was the dumbing down of, of Americans and the loss of spirituality. He says, well, what do you do when you're enlightened and, and, and your culture is going to shit? What you do is you do the same thing the scribes did. The, the monks during the, the Dark Ages, what they did was write all of the, where they wrote down all of the work of the Greek philosophers and the Greek thinkers. They kept them alive, and that's what right. you do. You keep on telling the truth. You keep on speaking the truth, and that's what we're I'm doing. I'm with you, Al. I'm totally with you, except my fears uh, are not merely about this, but this is shit, you know, this pandemic is a shitstorm. But it's nothing yeah. compared to what's now on us in terms of climate change. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Yeah. That has to be addressed. Oh, yeah. Huh? And it has to be addressed in a very big way with enormous changes in how people live. And, yeah. and so I'm going to do and you're going to do what we're doing in terms of uh, getting the word out as best we can about the bullshit of, of Big Pharma and the bullshit of psychiatry and the bullshit mm-hmm. of all of us every time we make a diagnosis of adjustment disorder or anything else because it is bullshit, it's destructive, and oh, yeah. we're doing it so that we can earn a living and there's nothing wrong in earning a living. But we've got to find a different, well, not say we. I keep saying we because I really don't want to ever admit how out of it I am. I just let my license go. I don't yeah. want to see people at yeah. night anymore. I, I, don't, I just don't do it. Uh, I do this and my writing for whatever that effect that will have. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but we have to, it's, yeah. it's going to be a slog, and I hope we have the time to do it. Because yeah. what's going well, to happen, our military already has plans for how to handle the massive population that has to start moving when parts of the United States can't be lived in anymore. Right. Yes, yeah, and I'm it, not even as aware of that as I should be, but I know it's a big problem, and I know we're going to all over to the world. There are places yeah, in the world change. that no longer can be in 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 somewhere in Asia, near the equator. Yeah. Last summer, the temperature went to 167 degrees. Holy shit! And really nobody amazing. could live more than an hour if they left their house. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. 130 in Paris this year. It was 130 in Los Angeles, and they were all on fire. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, it's happening. So, so, so let me go back. Uh, let me do a, two things. Go back to go what ahead. we were talking about. What about soul healing? Uh, you know, psychotherapy. That's what it really means. Psyche is soul, and therapy is heal. What about Good. soul healing? Soul healers, uh, or soul teachers, or soul something? As the word um, you mean. Yeah, as a word. Yeah. yeah. You know, I That's believe I mean. in the word soul as in a secular way, though. And yeah. so, it, to me, the word soul takes on too much of a religious meaning. And ultimately, I've, when I do my show tomorrow, I'm going to talk about the reason the earth crapped out was because we created this hierarchy with a man in the sky and, and that we have a soul that's immortal. And therefore, we can't face the fact that when we die, we die. 
and we yeah. put we do all kinds of talk about talk about trying to do something in a situation that only makes it worse. Let's yeah, all delusion. be obedient to the man in the sky or the people who talk for him, so we can all go to the great golf course in the sky for for eternity. Yeah. I mean. That's amazing, isn't it? Well, yes. Talk about a mass delusion. Talk about a mass yes. delusion. Yeah, that's a mass yes. delusion. Right. Yeah. And, so and let because me it's a thing. mass delusion, you can't call it schizophrenia. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, well that's, that's the criteria, mass, by the way. There's such a thing as mass psychosis, though, you know. Uh, yeah, I know. So, so, so we're talking about, let me, let me tell you the group of people that's, that's most harmed and the most horrible thing we do. This is absolutely the most horrible thing that the mental health system does. Okay, Larry? I'm it takes you. a person. It, this, this takes a, you take a person who has been really hurt badly, okay? I mean, you take, you take a person who's been hurt so badly, who has been discounted to such an extent, made to feel so inadequate, abused, mm-hmm. neglected, uh, put down, rejected so badly that they create their own reality. They, right. they, they are so terrified. Right. So but that's what I meant. That's of, the adaptation. Of, yeah, exactly. They're so terrified of the world and of human beings that they create their own reality. They find a way to protect themselves. And, see, this, there's a guy named John Weir Perry who spent a lot of time with people diagnosed with schizophrenia that really got to know them. And he says, here's what's happening, folks. These people have been hurt so badly and they have such a feeling of powerlessness that their psyche, their psychic energy goes, attaches to a part of themselves that's more powerful. And he was a Jungian, so their psychic energy attaches to a part of themselves that's like the king, the magician, uh, the, right. um, the warrior. It attaches to a part of themselves that's deeper in the psyche. And that's where its energy goes. And so the energy is not there in the rational, in the neocortex, you want to call it, or the rational side. And this is a move towards healing. John Weir Perry sees it. This is a it move is, towards healing. See, it doesn't you, work. You know what he called it? He, he called it a reconstitution of the self. Right. And he said, The problem we, is that the reconstitution of the self can't yeah. be successful if it's a delusion. Exactly. It has to be exactly. able so, to end up in real love and real creativity. Yes, exactly. Well, well, this is what the Soteri House did. The Soteri right. House, you come on, they say, come on in. You can stay right. here as long as you want. Right. We're not going to put we're not going to put pressure on you to get better. We're not going to put pressure right. on you to go back the way you were. Right. We're going to help you go through this experience. Right. So you that's where, we, where it has to go. A lot of Soteri yes. houses. Exactly. And so what we do. I mean, this is the worst fucking thing I can imagine. So here's a person that that has moved towards healing. They've they've made a move towards healing. Not a choice, not an intentional choice, the the way that we use the word choice, but some part of them, some deep, healthy part of them has, 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 has made a move in the right direction. And we stop it. We give them a fucking antipsychotic drug that stops the process. And we tell them you're you have a brain disease and you're gonna have right. to take it for the rest of your life. And we right. turn them to a chronic we turn them into chronically mentally ill people. That is right. the worst fucking crime I can imagine. It's a crime against humanity. Oh, it's a horrible crime. And it has and it happens to stop. Every day. And it has to stop. And you and I, because we know this, have to do whatever we can within our ability to stop it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's horrible. It is yeah. so horrible. 
Right. And it's more horrible than it I is. can even say. And if if you tell people about it, they'll think you're crazy. If you say, what do you tell them? You tell me that a person with uh, psychosis is is a move towards healing? You're out of your fucking right. mind. And they're wrong. You know they're the story of wrong. Thomas Zoss? Yeah. When Thomas Zoss wrote The Myth of Mental Illness, they came after him. They tried to take his license away, which they failed to do. But he was a professor at Upstate University right. in New York. They got him fired. Yeah. The mm-hmm. only person in the entire faculty who stood up to him was, what's his name? You know, I can't remember. Ron Leifer. Ron Leifer. No. Ron Leifer. No, the guy who wrote the, the, uh, the, about death, um, won the 1974 Pulitzer Prize. Now I can't even remember the name of the book. The Denial of Death. The which? The Denial of Death. It's oh, a reworking of psychoanalytic theory where sex isn't the problem, but our fear of death is the problem. It's oh, really okay. An- okay. psychoanalysis. It... Denial of and it death. won the 1974 Pulitzer Prize. He stood up for him. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, Ron Leifer did also. He was a fellow uh, uh, professor, I think. Was he? I have to look that up because that's interesting. Because I only thought it was one. But most of the faculty let him go. Oh, yeah. They they, they denied his, took his tenure away, and they fired him. I mean, it was just really. Oh, yeah. Well, well, you know what's happening now in in, in academic psychology programs? Yes. Uh, You have to have neuroscientists. Yeah, the, the American Psychological Association says diagnoses now must be made only with behavioral uh, 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 behaviors, describing uh-huh, behavior. Uh-huh. So I have uh-huh. a granddaughter, fabulous young lady, who's just started her Ph.D. in school psych mm-hmm. uh, in, in Fordham University. And she called me. She said, Papa, what's going on? So I sent her a paper I submitted to EHPP. I can't get her to read my book. Eventually, I'll get pissed enough at her. I say, you've got to read my book. <laughs> but no, but she's really busy now. So I sent her the paper I submitted. You know, we had that call for papers. Yeah, right. No one's written one but me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to tell, you know, I... tell uh, Jacqueline Sparks, I'm going to give it another month. If they can't publish the damn thing as a single I'm going to post it on the internet and post it at EHPP. Let people read it for whatever they want to. Uh, but but you know it's 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 calling for people to do what we're doing on the on the phone right now, which right. is work out a system that frees the field, economically, intellectually, and morally, from this bullshit. Yeah. No, I, I think fundamentally ex- exactly what you know and see is what people have to come to see, that all of these experiences, these states of beings, these behaviors, they're all functional. They're all what people are doing to to live their lives the best they can. Yes, uh, the best they can under they the total, as I wrote, it's the best they can under the total circumstances of their lives. Physically, exactly. biologically, socially, economically, politically. Yeah, and it, exactly. And it is a problem. You know, an, another part of this problem, and, you know, Michael Ventura and uh, James Hillman wrote a book called uh, We've Had 100 Years of Psychotherapy and the World Isn't Any Better Off. 
Right. No, and they're whole, certainly not mentally healthy yet. Anyway, uh, Al, I thank was, you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, their, their point no, no. was, you know, what we're doing is helping people adjust. We're helping people adjust to a sick society. Yes. And, and one of the horrible things about the medical model and, and convincing people they're sick is that then we don't have to deal with the social problems that are causing the sickness. It's political. Right? It's a yeah, political it's a way act. of avoiding it. Yeah, but it's also a political act. Yes, it's a political it act. Silences sure. dissent. Sciences dissent. Silences. Yeah. You can't protest. Sciences is same word it's the same word about that. Well, so. if somebody when when you or I are called mentally ill for saying what we're saying, it's a political act to silence us. Shut us up. Silence. Oh yeah. The silence. Not yes, science. Yes, yes. Silence. There's no science. Yeah, silence. Here. Anyway, I'm going to hang on you. I'm going to close okay. the show. I got to turn on and see what Nicole Wallace has to tell me about what outrages and abuses <laughs> okay. have taken place in the United States. I see that the market has now started to fall again. Ah. Uh-huh. Uh, fell 500 points today. Wow. Wow. So, this is going to maybe going to happen. Yes, and yeah. and while I don't want to see any of my money go down the tubes, that'll be another nail in he who must not be named coffin. Exactly. You know, and I'm par- I'm finally going to pay play the market the right way. When it goes down, I'm going to buy something. I've never done it right. Never done it right. I've lost so much fucking money in the stock market. You can't believe. Well, it. you know what I did. Anyway. Two thousand and eight. When the market crashed, I took the, yeah, yeah. most of my money and put it into a fixed account. Uh-huh. Yeah. Had I not, I would have three times the amount of money, at least, that I have. However, I have yeah. never lost a wink of sleep worrying about the market since then. Right. And it left right. me enough in my, in my pension to live out my life and maybe even leave the kids a couple of bucks when I, when I go. That's great. But I couldn't. That's great. I couldn't. It was, it's like playing uh, betting on the horses. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, uh, except for people who know what they're doing, they they can yeah. do it. You know, and they I really certainly can. never did. No, I never did. So, Larry, I'm really glad you do this show. I, 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 it's terrific. And what you're doing is exactly what it, it's the same as the suffragettes did. It's the it's well, the that's a equivalent. nice thing to hear. It and is. I want to thank you for coming on. You're welcome. You're so welcome. I love And not only are I, my I, thank you, but we're going to do this again in the not too distant future. Oh, I'd love to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Give me because a call. I, 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 wanted, I had Chuck Ruby on. I did a show with him a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Before his right. book came out, we did a show on smoke and, uh, smoke and mirrors. Right. Um, and then we did one on the, what is the self. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I was on the phone with him. We were ruminating, and we did the show, and it's a terrific, terrific discussion. Yeah, uh, he's great, one of the brighter. He's he's fabulous, by the way. I think Chuck Ruby yeah. is in a class by himself. But he's yeah, about yeah, to listen, be, he's, he's becoming overwhelmed by the fact that he's doing everything himself in the organization. Yeah, I know that's a problem. I I brought him to ICEP. I brought him to ICEP. I did met you? him on the division. Yes, I did. I I brought him. I met him on the division thirty-two listserv. Yeah, he may punch you, you in the nose for that someday. Yeah. <laughs> You may you may lose a friend over that. <laughs> yeah, no, we have to help him more somehow or other. We do. Yeah, I do. I search. I try. 
Anyway, yeah. um, thank you for being okay. here. Dr. Al. You're welcome, Larry. Take care. Yeah. And, so uh, you were the first you were the first member of of, of ICEP I ever talked to. In two thousand three right. I called you up and you told me how to go to and, and, and you know who I met I, I met at that conference in New Jersey, the most wonderful guy in ICEP. Who? There's a bunch of wonderful guys. Andrew Levine. What a prince. Oh, I Andrew love Levine. What a great you know, guy. What I'll tell you a story about how I got thrown out of ICEP, ICS, ICSPP. No, I started you having... Thrown out. You, you and Wynn, you and Lou Wynn, you and Lou Wynn got fed up with it. No, no, I, I picked what happened. I was having an online fight with uh, Bob Whitaker. Uh, Robert, uh, not Rob, Robert, not Whitaker. Oh, Sick, uh, Robert, Slickland. 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 And yeah. one night I was going on and on, and I had a couple of drinks, and I said nasty things to him. Oh, oh wow. And the next thing I know, Andy Levine calls me. You've been thrown off the uh, listserv. Wow. I said, listen, you threw me off without even talking to me? Uh, I didn't realize that. That happened. So I yeah, called I, up, I uh, I called up uh, uh, Dominic Riccio, with whom I, yeah. was, I thought we were really close. He said, okay, I'll yeah. put you back on. I said, how did you let yeah. that happen? I, over the years, I have been trying to, uh, to apologize for what I said to Slickland. I mean, stupid things. You know, nothing, yeah, nothing really you. harmful, but stupid things when you, when right, you get right. drunk and angry. And yeah. finally, this year, I got in contact with him, and I apologized. And he said, yeah, I just took it as your, your acerbic sense of humor. I wasn't <laughs> offended. But anyway, that was the story. He's a great okay. guy. Robert Spickland's a great guy. Okay. And by the way, everybody I know there is a good guy. But what happens is... Yeah, everybody. Everybody, everybody you but know, they become I know quiet. I can't get them to come on and say what you said with me today. Well, that's interesting. Well, they're not egomaniacs like me. I'm an egomaniac. No, you're not. You just have courage. <laughs> My, it's called anyway. having some balls. Take care. Okay. Larry, take Bye. care, man. What you're Bye. doing is good. Good stuff. Okay. Bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.